UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're here to talk about Michigan's 29-7 victory over the Spartans of Michigan State. And of course, we will talk about what happened after the game. But first, well, Clint, what did you think about that 29-7 victory over the Spartans? Well, I thought it was another really great methodical performance on both sides of the ball. Truly a, a really thorough victory uh, in, in all three phases. Exactly what you want to see. Now, the, 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 the main caveat to that is really punching the ball in in the end zone. I mean, even up in the press box, you and I were, were kind of joking about it each time they got down into the red zone. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, a 22-point victory that, that somehow felt dissatisfying because it felt like they should have been pummeling them on the scoreboard uh, by a much greater margin. So um, when we look back at this, it, it definitely felt like four or five touchdown victory and not just a three touchdown victory. I think you had a phrase that you used a Python like victory just, and, and I was thinking that during the game, it just felt like even though the difference in the score did not really expand until the second half, it just felt like the Michigan defense was just smothering the Spartan offense and the Michigan offense was just methodically going down and trying different things. Again, disappointed that uh, – well, again, first of all, it's great that we had such success kicking field goals. Um, you know, you do want to get to the point where when you are in a first and goal situation, you want to convert that to a touchdown. That is a little bit troublesome. Blake Corum talked about it after the game. You know, we got to win. You know, that's – you want to win, you know, if you win by one point, you win by one, you know, you just want to win. So, yeah, I would say we got out of it what we wanted to, but we got to score. You know, I, I want to blow them out, and it should have been a blowout. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to make no excuses, man. We, we got to get better at the red zone, and we will. You know, that, that's what's so good about this team. Uh, you know, when we see something bad, you know, we fix it. And so we're going to go back to the table, and uh, we're going to work on red zone, you know. On the other hand, you had a situation where Michigan just dominated the second half. And, you know, in this rivalry game, you know, in the past, when you'd see a, a tight score, you would, well, okay, we saw a little of this against Penn State, right? Michigan was dominating, then Penn State had two lightning strikes, and they were right back in the game. You mm -hmm. never had the sense that Michigan State had that potential. Yeah, yeah, it, it exactly like that it felt uh, it felt weird at halftime that it was only 13 to 7 and then i remember oh yeah last week uh it, it was a similar score and penn state had found a way to actually have the lead it, it's kind of a slow ramp up uh with this particular method or, or um style of play that, that michigan is employing but they're they're really good at it this complimentary football is really kind of tips the tables uh, tips the field in one direction and, and eventually the other team totally wears down. And uh, the second half performance, like you mentioned, was just absolute um, 
it was absolutely masterful, especially by the defensive staff. And uh, like I said, it was a close, uh, close game at halftime, thirteen to seven, and then you come out, you you score a, another field goal, and everybody kind of groans like, "Oh boy, here it comes!" You know, Michigan State's going to score and tighten this right back up. The third quarter, Michigan State ran six plays for eight yards. One more time, in, in the entire quarter, the entire third quarter, Michigan State ran six plays for eight yards. That's, you know, that's much more um, reflective of how this game went than than really anything else. That that was really the, the most lopsided statistical uh, um, portion of the game. And if Michigan had been able to punch in, one or two more of their red zone trips instead of five Jake Moody field goals, then you know we're we're, we're looking at another forty to seven victory. It felt almost exactly like the Penn State game to me. Yep, and away the scoring broke out in this one. Michigan State had a touchdown in the first quarter. Michigan had the first of their many field goals. Michigan scored a touchdown in the second quarter and another field goal. Go heading into the half. 13 to 7. Michigan had two more field goals in the third quarter, a touchdown and a field goal in the fourth quarter to finish 29 to 7. What surprised me about this game or I guess was reminiscent of Penn State was just how Blake Corum just kept pounding the ball. And you know, we had a great offensive line last year, award-winning offensive line last year. But I really think you have to consider that this offensive line is better. Offensive line, like I say every week, they dominate. You know, there's nothing new. I know what I know what I'm gonna get every game. It's domination up front. It doesn't matter who who's in their way. They're gonna dominate, and uh, that's the beautiful thing about my own line, man. They they're the best. What can I say? They're the best. Um, and what was the second question? You know, you said back of the end zone. You got to the back of the end zone. Oh uh, yeah, you know, I was just, you know, I wanted Paul to see that. You know, I, I've never seen Paul before. You know, this is my first time, so you know, I wanted to make sure I greeted him right. Blake Corum ended up with 177 yards, only one touchdown, but 177 yards on 33 carries, averaged 5.4 yards per carry, and. You know, it reminds me of, and, and it, I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks. There was the year where Tim Biakabatuka just ran all over Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And he did it like five yards at a time. Like there was, there was no 100-yard rush or 90-yard rush. It just kept, kept piling up and piling up. And that's how Blake Corum is this year. You know, every now and then he has a loss. And then he just bounces right back, three, four, five, six yards. And, and again, his longest rush was 17 yards. So the consistency that he has, and again, all credit to him, but a lot of the credit needs to go to this offensive line that is just you know putting on a clinic week in and week out. A couple weeks ago, I broke down Donovan Edwards' 67-yard touchdown run. And they did a great job on the broadcast of that game. I was able to get some screen captures of just showing how the Michigan line was perfect. I mean, just like 
like a perfection that you don't usually see at this level. Usually, uh, you know, uh, the defense will gum up the works a little bit. So, you know, you talked about Michigan playing complimentary football. Uh, this was it, right? It just, you know, you had the special teams firing. You had Corum continuing to run, uh, you know, and, and again, when you're talking about Edwards, he ran for another 42 yards. He averaged 4.2 yards carry. So when you look at um, what we're looking at, you know, yes, disappointed that, um, you know, I joked during the game, you know, one of the times Michigan was first and goal, I'm like, ah, Michigan State has us right where they want us because we're probably not going to score a touchdown. And, you know, as annoying as that is, when you're so dominant on defense, it has to be really frustrating to an opponent to continuously hold Michigan to field goals and not be able to close the gap when you can't score. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I thought, we said it when we were up in the press box, but if I was if I was coaching on the, the Michigan State staff, I'd be screaming into the headset, you know, what are – that we're playing Michigan, why are, why do we have a six-man box? Why do we have six defenders, you know, in the box? Four down linemen and two linebackers. It was clear that the Spartans were were trying to throw a, a changeup in the Michigan game, which which makes sense. Uh, once they had a, a couple losses, I think everybody kind of predicted that that they would turn this into a one-game season. So, the fact that they we're creating the, uh, a game plan just for this game over the last few weeks, especially with a bye week, just like uh, Michigan had to prepare. Um, you, you knew there was going to be a curveball, but their their curveball was to try to put more defensive backs on the field and keep two safeties deep to take away um, the passing game because that's what's been killing them from uh, really for the better part of this season and most of last season, their secondary has been so, so poor over the last two years that um, they they basically played five defensive backs and sometimes six defensive backs um, with, with just a, a five or a six man box against a running offense. And it, it, it cannot work. It cannot work. I, I kept saying it out loud because I was kind of trying to make sure that I was looking at it the right way. But Michigan with just one tight end, you know, in the alignment, that's six blockers. You got your normal five offensive linemen. You add a tight end, that's six blockers. Now there are six defenders in the box. So it's eight on six, quarterback, running back, and six blockers against six defenders. So it is not uh, as well as the line played, as well as Blake Corum played. I certain, and, and again, I think J.J. McCarthy's threat as a runner uh, gets a, a little bit of, of kudos as well. It's a big it, having to account for the quarterback is a big deal, but Michigan state made their decision. Um, they were not going to let the Wolverines throw the ball over the yard. So, you know, that's the, there's one coach in America who will gladly take the you know, two, 200 plus yard rushing game and just slowly strangle you to death. And it's Jim Harbaugh and, and, it, uh, it it felt like everybody was was just fine with with how the game was playing out because it was clear Michigan State did not want to give up any passing yards. Rewatching the game, it seemed to me that um, 
the Michigan State made a decision that they were comfortable losing slowly. They didn't want to get killed fast. They didn't want to give up the long pass play. And what's interesting is when you think about how Michigan is so dominant at the line of scrimmage and so dominant at the offensive line and, and you know, a multifaceted running attack, they had to know that that's what was going to happen, right? And it's almost as if they kind of rolled the dice and said, okay, we're going to let you, you know, break off four and five yard runs and then hope for turnovers or something. Hope that suddenly Blake Corum would turn into a, uh, a gumball machine and start turning the ball over every time it got hit. And, and we know that that's not in his repertoire. He's very good at holding the ball and watching this game, you know, and, and, you know, I, I always like to take the names off the teams and kind of look at it just from, you know, um, team A, team B. In this case, um, you know, the Spartans just knew they were overmatched and just wanted it, wanted a slow death, right? Wanted a slow, you know, again, it was, it was 13, seven at the half, right? If, if they catch lightning on a bottle, you know, maybe a kick return, maybe a pick six, a scoop and score, they were hoping that if they could just slow Michigan down, perhaps they could, you know, get some kind of lightning in a bottle. And, of course, that didn't happen. And as you said, um, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, in the press box when we were watching it, you know, last year Jim Harbaugh had a great quote about when they put pretty on the scoreboard, we'll worry about it. Well, that's what this game was. It wasn't necessarily pretty from a, uh, you know, from – if you're looking for big plays, if you're looking for flashy, uh, you know, uh, you know, quick offensive strikes, this wasn't that game, but this was just a slow, methodical dismantling, um, just just a a pounding into the ground, and you know, um, one of the things that um, you know, even Blake Corum, you know, was a little frustrated that hey, they couldn't. You know, they know that they're having trouble in the red zone, right? And, you know, he said very clear what he wanted to do in the game. And it's interesting because, you know, you know going into this game, Michigan had lost the last two games to Michigan State. And, you know, a really stinging loss last year, although I would make the argument that that loss really propelled Michigan to elevate their game and, you know, eventually took them to the Big Ten championship, you know, winning the Big Ten championship and making the college football playoffs. But, again, that was a stinging loss. You know, in a game that Michigan dominated almost all the first half, it seemed like this year that they definitely um, – and, and Blake Corum and, and J.J. McCarthy talked about this – this game shouldn't have been as close as it was. Mm -hmm. Should have been a blowout, mm -hmm. and that's that's all just based on our red zone. Yeah, well, all those fourth quarter finishers. Yeah, you I know. mean we we live for that. We live for that. When uh, I mean, all the chips are on the table. You got 30 more minutes to show what you can do and leave it all out there. We want that. We want that, and we thrive in that. So it it's just something that we've been building up over the off season for months and months, and it's just. It's just where we thrive. It's just like, you know, you fill them out, you fill them out, right? It's just like a boxing match. You know, you go one round, you go two, three, four, maybe five, maybe six. 
you know, then that second half, the other six, then you try to knock them out. So it's like, you know, you fill them out, and then um, you go back at halftime, you know, see what, see some things you can fix, go back out there and uh, give it everything you got last 30 minutes. You get stronger as you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Team, team gets stronger uh, as we go. Again, had to be really disheartening for a Spartan team that had pulled two stunning upsets in the last two years, but you know they had no gas in the tank to to compete this year. I, I want to start with kind of a, a, a one positive thing for from a Michigan State perspective. Their you know the their receiver core is is absolutely you know legit. You know the the, the explosive plays that they were able to make early in the game. Um, th that coverage is pretty good. You know Jamon Green had had coverage that was really not much to complain about that, that their guys were just making plays uh, and, and grabbed some chunk yardage uh, in that first quarter and really earned the seven points that they got and kind of put a put kind of a jolt into the defense. And then um, Jesse Minter rolled a safety help over top of, of their, their receiver. And he still ended up, you know, over 150 yards receiving. But you know, with that, with that said, you know, given given those guys their kudos, again in the second half, Michigan State had 84 total yards. I, I already mentioned that they had eight yards in the third quarter, only 76 in the fourth quarter, so 84 total yards. That 51 of that play, <laughs> one one long pass, uh, you know, a, a deep shot down the middle, um, catch and run for 51 yards. I mean, if you if that one play were taken out of there, 84 minus 51 was at 33, 33 yards of, of offense in the rest of the half. So um, it was not close. It was not close. So I, I, I don't – I it, it wasn't a total skunk for sure. Again, I think those receivers earned, uh, earned the points that Michigan State scored, but um, just tactically and then, you know, totally overmatched in the long run and, and all three dimensions, you, you could say it about our offense. You could say it about our defense and our special teams, you know, five for five for Moody. And meanwhile, uh, Michigan state really had trouble, you know, snapping the ball on punts. The, the second best receiver on Michigan state's team was their punter. He made two really great one handed catches and uh, eventually, um, couldn't couldn't come up with the, another miraculous catch and and the the touchdown that came after their bad snap on the punt the eight yard touchdown drive I think it was just two quorum runs for four yards each that was really the backbreaker at the beginning of the fourth quarter so um, all three dimensions it was it was a clear and decisive win and the scoreboard was absolutely the minimum possible score that that could have happened in this on this particular day. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, ESPN runs that stat that has the probability of victory. You know, if they had run a similar calculation on predicting, looking at the stats and predicting the score, you made a great point. This was the lowest score that probably could have come when you look at the stats. Um, you know, there, there was one disappointment. I mean, we did have to punt. Brad Robbins had to punt for the mm -hmm. first time, so – you know, it's good to get him some work in. Really and, close. Ronnie Bell almost caught that ball for a first down. Yeah. That was a very, very close to being <laughs> yep. a catch. I think they made the right 
I think they ended up making the right call, but uh, that was not not that far off. Brad Robbins was almost another week off. Yep, and Coach Harbaugh talked about it in the post game, but he sounded a little salty about that. Um, you know, even Jake Moody. So you mentioned he had five field goals when he lined up for the fifty-four yarder. You know, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, it almost struck me as, "Wow, we're really pushing it here, right? We really want, we really don't want to punt. We want to give him a challenge." and and he nailed it. So again, Michigan firing on all cylinders and really doing what they needed to do with how important this game looked at the beginning of the season. A little of the luster wore off with Michigan State underperforming, but we knew that that was only going to make this game more important for them. And, you know, I think, uh, again, 29-7 victory. You know, not particularly impressive on the scoreboard, but a win is a win. You know, as Coach Harbaugh would say, best win of the week. And um, unfortunately, things went downhill after the game. So, um, you know, just to be clear, I'm going to assume that everybody has seen the various video clips of um, what happened in the tunnel between um, some Michigan State players and some Michigan players. Um, Clint, what was your, what's your opinion on, on what you saw and, and what happened after the game? Well, I think it's unfortunate. Um, I, 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 I'm a little bit slower to kind of turn it into a, a grander statement about, uh, about Michigan State's program or, or, or the group of kids you know, that plays for Michigan State. But, um, you know, it, it's it's really disappointing that the, the kids from Michigan State that attacked the, the, the players from Michigan, um, you know, they, they I agree that they have to be held accountable. I think uh, Ward Manuel and uh, Jim Harbaugh stated it just pretty plainly and frankly, and, and are they are correct. Uh, right now we have a... Uh ongoing police investigation. Um, what happened in the tunnel was egregious. Uh, sickening to watch the videos, the ones that are uh, that are on social media right now. And uh, also the ABC tunnel cam. It's in a in a um, higher elevation that shows shows much more of, uh, of what took place. Um, as I said, those are those are uh, sickening to watch. Uh, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be a full, thorough, timely investigation. I can't imagine that these uh, will not in, um, uh, that they won't. I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. The videos are uh, are uh, are bad and. Um, it's clear what, what transpired. It seems uh, very, very open and shut. You know, as they say, uh, watch the tape. Um, I'm coming from this from a perspective of, uh, of being a parent, and these young men um, are entrusted to me by their families and to our program, and we have the responsibility to each player uh, to treat them like our own, and I take that responsibility very seriously. Um, an apology will not get the job done in this instance. Uh, 
there should be serious consequences uh, for the, the many individuals that are culpable. And on behalf of the 22, 2022 Michigan football team, um, our players, our coaches, our staff, our university, um, this has been a very traumatic experience um, for everybody, especially uh, for uh, Jaden and Jaman, and um, we will support them. We'll support, support, support them and, uh, and their families in every possible way. Um, I don't buy any um, excuse that's going to be laid off on the rivalry or the tunnel or uh, any, any other thing that somebody could possibly blame. These are the actions of, of these individuals, and they need to be accountable for them. That uh, those decisions that were made by the players who assaulted the Michigan players, are they're going to have to deal with, um, likely they're going to have to deal with the, the criminal justice system in some way. And uh, that's that's appropriate for for what happened there. But um, just we've seen scuffles uh, in in college football and in in college, you know, around college football. And sometimes it's the fans. Sometimes it's you know all these different people that get too you know wound too tightly around a rivalry game, and for it to come out in, in ugliness like this is really unfortunate. You know, and I would, um, I, I, I would, I would also point that uh, there was another clip of uh, uh, Mel Tucker kind of swatting somebody's hand away, you know, as he entered the tunnel coming off the field. You know, what, what, what is somebody doing reaching down and touching, you know, Mel Tucker's head on his way by? You know, what, what, I, <laughs> it's hard for me not to feel uh, empathy for, you know, especially having having been a coach for a part of my life, you know, losing a rivalry game, it's a pretty, uh, pretty raw emotional moment. You know, if somebody were to kind of pat me on the head on my way by, you know, I, I, I could only imagine, you know, how, how my, uh, my emotions would, would kind of explode out of me at that moment. So, um, brutal. And, and I, I think at least Mel Tucker, you know, did the right thing, suspended four kids immediately the next day. Um, four more kids have been suspended. Uh, while all of that's going to get reviewed, I, I, I have some confidence that, uh, you know, that, that those kids will, will have to deal with the consequences of their actions. But um, I'm a little bit slower to turn it into any grand statement about, uh, about their program or, or Mel Tucker, Tucker specifically. So... I won't be the person indicting Michigan State or their program, you know, at a high, at, at, you know, across the board, okay? Um, Clint, as you said, you know, you coached. I've, I've been around programs both at the high school and the college level for a while now. And, again, stupid things happen, right? Mm -hmm. I think – you know, and I, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here because I've I've thought about this a lot. You know, there in any population of kids, and I mean like on any team, you know, there are there are the occasional knuckleheads, right? There are kids who, if uh, may have impulse control and are if they're put in the bad in the wrong circumstances, they may do something stupid. 
we have seen that at all levels on all teams. Okay. I want to be clear about that, that, you know, I'm not making, you know, uh, uh, again, some have been quick to make indictments about Michigan state as a program. Now, with that said, what we saw in the tunnel really upset me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, I think, you know, again, there are knuckleheads in any program, right? I'm sure anybody, any team across America has some guys who may make some bad decisions. What really disappointed me was the number of bad decisions we saw in the tunnel and the number of people who walked by and didn't intervene. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, listen, Clint, I love football. Okay. I, I unabashedly say football is my religion and Saturday is my holy day of obligation. When I used to help out on Fridays, I used to include Friday in that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love the sport. I love football players. I love football coaches. It's one of the reasons I like talking about football as much as I do. With that said, we're all football players, right? Even if you're a former player, even if you're on a different team, there's a certain um, respect. There's a way you play the game, right? There is the potential to injure somebody on almost every play, okay? If, you, if you're dirty, right? If you take somebody's knee out, if you, if you go out of the lines, right? If you do something that's, that's you know, uh, forbidden by the rules. But you get what I'm saying. It's a dangerous game right? Mm -hmm. And, and there's amount of trust between the two teams, right? So what I was really disappointed by is, okay, when you saw the Michigan state player square off against the Michigan player, he didn't have his helmet on. Okay. You have a number of players with their helmets on beating on a guy who didn't have his helmet on really poor form. Okay. You know, and I've told a, you know, a couple people this week, listen, Generally, when two, if you're on the field and two players square off and they both have their helmets on, it's no big deal. Okay. I remember being coached saying, Hey, listen, don't swing at another player. You're more likely to hurt your hand. Right. They're, they're armored from head to toe. Right. So when I saw the Michigan player being beat on without his helmet, really poor form. Okay. Another thing that, that, uh, bugged me is again, we're not talking one-on-one, two-on-one here. We're talking a number of players on one guy, okay? Also, again, they're not on the field, right? That guy falls, hits his head, you hit him, he hits his head on the concrete and the cinder block. Being in the tunnel, again, just to me takes it to a whole nother level. And it's just really, really poor form. And then you had the video come out, like the ultimate taboo, of swinging a helmet on somebody swinging a helmet on somebody who doesn't have a helmet. So again, I I was disappointed by the poor sportsmanship. I was disappointed by the number of Michigan state players who just walked by and didn't, because again, you have forget about your responsibility to your opponent. You have a responsibility to keep your teammate out of trouble, to keep it from getting any worse. And um, as you said, you know, they suspended four players out of the gate, another four players. And, and I know this, you know, listen, they're never, they're not going to do this because there's too much money involved, but for the number of players who, who stood by, you know, if this was high school, I would advocate shutting the program down for the season. Okay. It's just poor form. Again, what were you all thinking? And just, again, I, I'm not gonna, 
I'm not going to indict Michigan State. I'm not going to indict Mel Tucker. I will indict a group of, of guys who made a lot of bad decisions and just really, really poor form. So, um, I think the, your point about really the, the, the hardest thing to swallow is how many people I tried to, you know, to turn a blind eye to it or were encouraging it. And the players, you know, again, that they're, they're held accountable for, for the way that they acted, I'm sure. Um, but the coaching staff, you know, the adults, <laughs> you know, the, uh, you know, the, the grown men in that tunnel that, that did not try to find a way to deescalate the situation, right? Whoever's responsible for not getting the entire team into the locker room uh, for Michigan State, you know, the, the, those failures, um, whether they were uh, accidental or intentional, right, to try to, to create that kind of conflict in the tunnel is, um, you know, is ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. It was a, a, a total um, failure of, of leadership and decision making um, in that moment in the tunnel, that's for sure. And the, really, for me, the frustrating part is that it's going to bring up more conversation about the tunnel as if the tunnel is the problem after, you know, a hundred some years of existence, right? 95 something years. I think I read that the tunnel has existed at Michigan stadium and, and now it's impossible to, you know, to have both teams in one long tunnel at the same time. You know, we, we know that this can be done. We, we know that the logistics are fine. It's just uh, after a, a highly emotionally charged game, if uh, if you happen to lose that game, as Michigan has some really hard emotional games at at Michigan Stadium, you know the the trouble with the snap game, the 2020 game, those were tough pills to swallow. Um, you you should be teaching your kids how to handle that adversity in the moment and to uh, to take your take your L and and get in the locker room and try to figure out how to get better. You know, and Michigan's had to do that in that same tunnel against this particular team. So it was certainly a, um, a failure in the moment from many different people in the program. Um, I, I don't want to sound as if I'm, uh, you know, uh, you know, just sweeping it away or, or, or justifying it because certainly not. Um, but uh, as somebody who's made, you know, my share of, of poor choices in, in many different moments, I can understand how those uh, failures happen, and uh, I, I think hopefully there are, are lessons to be learned for everybody that was involved. And uh, really, I hope that there's not uh, any major, major injury um, risk or, or long-term change in the career trajectory for both Jamon Green and for Jaden McBurrows. Um, I know McBurrows was already uh, injured, in some other way hopefully that wasn't anything that was uh you know aggravated and, and made worse um but jamon green is uh you know he's a really integral part of this team and a starter in the defensive backfield and, and a critical starter so to to see the the helmet being swung and hitting jamon green um is uh is really sickening and um the holding those individual players accountable isn't going to, isn't going to help uh, Jamon Green in, in his moment. So I, I did read a report where they've uh, 
you know, they, they've secured a lawyer and uh, are likely to take uh, additional action on top of whatever criminal charges are pressed. I would imagine that they're, um, you know, that, that they're going to make sure that he's, he's compensated for whatever additional injuries were, were inflicted upon him. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the whole thing. And I, I just hope that those guys bounce back physically and uh, are able to resume their career unencumbered. So, again, there's a way that you deal with adversity. There's a way that you deal with getting your butt handed to you, okay? <laughs> and we've seen Michigan State do this before. You know, everybody talks about, you know, the Mike Hart little brother comments, right? Michigan State took that, used it as fuel, and won 10 of the next 14 games. The way that you use a butt kicking or, you know, there have been people who have, um, you know, questioned why the Michigan players were in their own tunnel, right? Hey, listen, if you're upset about getting your butt kicked, come back the next year, okay? And again, they did this after Mike Hart, you know, made the little brother comments. They won 10 of the next 14. And if anybody is painfully aware of that, it's me, because I will tell you, there were, you know, this game has a reputation for being a little dirty, okay? And there were two or three years in a row where Michigan State just crushed Michigan. And, and I remember there were, uh, we played there two years in a row by a quirk of the schedule, and they just destroyed us, okay? And again, thinking back to, hey, uh, want to make little brother comments now? That's how you answer, right? And I think that the larger lesson here is that, um, you know, no matter how somebody treats you, you're responsible for how you respond. Mm -hmm. And again, I what I was disappointed by is this is bad for the sport, okay? When you see players lose control like this, when you have situations like this, um, there were, okay, there have been rumors going around that somebody – and it may be the networks, it may be the Big Ten, would like, has suggested that you move this game to Ford Field. Okay, this happened before this incident, right? Hey, wouldn't it be great? Well, you know, Clint, no, I think that sucks. It should be held on campus. This is a game that should be held on campus. But you have an incident like this, well, you know, you know where they have two tunnels? Ford Field, right? Also want to point out when people are talking about the multiple tunnels, you know, the, or the situation with the tunnels, Hey, you know where else they have one tunnel? Michigan State. Okay. If you travel around as we have and seen different collegiate venues, one tunnel is, is not that unusual. Um, it, it's, it, it's frustrating because there's a lot of excuses being made and a, a lot of people equivocating and trying to soften what happened, how those players reacted. And again, I just, I keep coming back to, you know, this wasn't, you know, e even when they describe it as a fight, listen, six on one isn't a fight, okay? If I'm walking down the street and six people jump me, that's not a fight, okay? Or it's going to be a very short fight. So I I, I struggle with the way um, some of the Michigan State-friendly media are kind of softening what happened. Um, you know, when you see the video, and, and, and again, I just leave it at that. Just watch the video, and, 
you know, again, you see somebody swinging a helmet, which is a various, a very dangerous weapon. Okay. You know, again, just the circumstances are, are really bad. And again, here, instead of talking about a dominating win by Michigan, you know, the story on CNN and ESPN and all across the country was this unfortunate incident. And um, also, you know, you have quotes from Jim Harbaugh talking about, you know, well, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's going to be criminal, criminal ramifications. So, again, that's not what we want to be talking about right now. I don't, I don't want to be talking about this, okay? Right. I can't right. ignore it, especially because, you know, we, we uh, got to see, you know, and, and kind of give some of the, uh, the behind-the-scenes flavor. Um, you know, I, I leave the press box a couple minutes before the end of the game to get to the post-game press conference. We're waiting for the players to come in as, you know, as the game ends. And someone rushes in and says there's been an attack in the tunnel. And I will tell you, my first impression is, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, you know, hey, a little sensationalism. And then while, um, you know, Blake Corum and J.J. McCarthy are talking about such a great game, right? I thought Tuck was coming. That's what they said this all season, right? All them shirts. Tuck was coming. I just saw them running. <laughs> Come on, ah. Appreciate it. Good job, boys. They can throw them shirts away. No, that's They were talking, you know what I'm saying? But you can only talk so much when you're getting punished, you know? So, I mean, it got, it got quiet real quick. Yeah, I mean, we've had multiple, numerous teams come in here just yapping their mouth, and we just like to talk back with action. We don't like talking back with words. That's just all extra stuff. We just want to do what we do. Instead of talking about, you know, us being focused on this dominating Michigan victory, you know, people are asking them, well, what do you think about the attack? And they hadn't seen the, they didn't even know it, you know, they hadn't seen the video. So they couldn't answer to it. And then, you know, Jim Harbaugh comes in and was, was visibly upset as understandably. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed that happened to two of our players, Larry. And again, we're, we're not really talking about the game. We're talking about this ugly incident. And, and again, you know, it's kind of dominating this week. You know, one of the things that I was really glad to hear is that um, Coach Harbaugh described the team, said that, uh, you know, relayed to the team. He said, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night trying to think about how I would deal with this. And the best way to deal with it is just to move on and beat Rutgers, you know, to kind of get you know, to not be frustrated at, um, you know, what happened, but to just, you know, you know, like you said, Ward Manuel is working on it. The Big Ten is working on it. And, you know, interesting that, you know, Big Ten commissioner happens to have a, a kid who plays for Michigan State. No conflict mm -hmm. there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and again, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But honestly, only eight have been suspended. Uh, okay. Again, and I, again, I, you know, I guess you're, you know, you, you got to see how it plays out. But, um, you know, one of the things, Clint, you know, in the in the run up to this game, Mozzie Smith was asked about the the change in culture for Michigan. Uh, it been, but don't break. You know, like never giving up, you know, 
always remaining the same in the face of adversity because everybody always say adversity shows you shows you to you. And uh, when we look in the mirror, we got to like what we see. And you know what? I think the Michigan players can say that. And I'll just I'll just leave that there. Right. Um, I think that there needs to be some some changes. And, you know, again, we've seen Michigan State bounce back from this and and use, you know, you know, a, losing in a, in a in a dominating fashion in a positive way. It's going to be really interesting to see how the program responds to, you know, over the next couple of weeks and whatever ramifications come from this incident. Yeah, I think to, to kind of build off of what, what Harbaugh's quote was, there's kind of the short term uh, adversity, right? You're, you're probably moving forward with, uh, with a couple injury problems. Uh, again, specifically to Jamon Green, hopefully he's back uh, sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, you, you're going to have to kind of deal with the short-term adversity and, and bouncing back from from this event and get refocused and, and play a, a, a solid, complete road game um, in New Jersey. And then in the long term, I think Michigan needs to find a way to, to kind of bottle up that emotion and, and turn it into positive energy and prepare to, uh, to even the score with uh, Mel Tucker. Um, you know, you're still, still one and two against Mel Tucker in three years. So, um, still, still a long way to go, uh, in, in the rivalry on the field between the lines and, and between the whistles. So, um, I, I agree with your sentiment that I think, uh, the players at Michigan and, and, and our coaching staff will find a way to, to channel this into, a uh, positive football energy, and uh, I, I look forward to the 23 version of this rivalry game also. I wonder how Michigan is going to respond in the run-up to the game. Ryan Hayes talked about how much the team wanted to beat Michigan State. I mean, yeah, I think we were all pretty pissed off after that game. We didn't we didn't close it out. You know, we got up, got up early but didn't, you know, keep our foot on the gas pedal so it's pretty disappointing on the way home I remember that feeling just nobody's really talking to each other no everybody knew that we just let it slip through our fingers and yeah I mean we I think it helped us for the rest of the year last year but obviously we don't want that to happen again every time we get out there it's just a dogfight. I think we truly just hate each other and I think that just comes down to that and that was before this right I just um you know ultimately it, it, you know, listen, I love football. It's a game, okay? This, you can't have these kind of distractions hanging over it. Uh, you don't want to see, and you know, I don't want to see anybody on either side hurt, okay? This is, this is not worth, you know, somebody having a severe injury. And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of elevate above this stuff. And again, I just want to enjoy the game, you know, and, and I, you know, that's what I'm hoping, you know, this can, you know, over the next year can deescalate some of these really negative emotions and, um, you know, both teams can, can kind of come together and just focus on the game. So, so yeah. So Clint, any final words? No, another, uh, another really dominating performance. Uh, you got to see Michigan kind of take that, 
complimentary football in all three phases on the road. Uh, Rutgers has given Michigan problems the last two seasons. They do some things uh, on defense that have caused problems with our blocking scheme. So we'll see if Michigan can put together a solid running performance for the first time in the last few years. That would be a, a big positive step forward. And then uh, it'd be nice to see J.J. McCarthy look sharp again. He's had a couple games, the last two or three games, where he's been good. Nothing, uh, you know, no no need to hit the panic button, but not quite as sharp through the air as he was uh, early on in the season. So hopefully he finds a way to recalibrate and uh, and maybe take a few deep shots down the field and, and get Ronnie Bell back involved as well. So... What my hope for this week is we can get back to football, please. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.